Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 40 of Revelation chapter 21. We'll be reading verses 25 through 27. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. All right, we're we're going to begin with verse 25. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And this is speaking of the holy city Jerusalem made up of God's people. And it's um, uh, talking about the new heaven and the new earth. And God says that the gates of that glorious holy city will not be shut at all by day. So uh, as long as it's day, the gates are open. And then he gives additional information uh, as though he's saying, and by the way, there is no night there, which is telling us that the gates of heaven will forever be open because they're open by day and the new heaven and new earth is like an eternal day. It, it is um, a place of eternal light. And we're not surprised at that because that's exactly what God told us in Isaiah chapter 60. And I'll read again, Isaiah 60, beginning in verse 19, The sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but Jehovah shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. Thy sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself. For Jehovah shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy mourning shall be ended. That's mourning as in sorrow. God will be the light of uh, his people. Um, that's what it said back in verse 23 of Revelation chapter 21. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And that's another proof first that that the Lord Jesus, the Lamb, is eternal God. He is the everlasting light that lightens eternity future, that lightens the kingdom of heaven, that lightens the new heaven and new earth, and that lightens the holy city Jerusalem. And because he is an everlasting light, God says the gates are not shut by day. You know, God 
the Lord Jesus himself is typified by the day, the, the physical sun that rises and shines upon the earth has always been a picture of Christ. And the day, therefore, identifies with Christ. And the night, when the sun goes down and darkness comes out all over the world, well, that identifies with the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness. Darkness and sin and death, they, they relate to the night. But notice what God says in 1 Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says in verse 5, Ye are all the children of light, and the children of the day. That is, we're children of Christ, children of God, because the light and the day typify him. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. God's people are not of the night. We are of the day. And so in that uh, wonderful, beautiful new heaven and new earth, it is always day. And that is uh, all that the children of God have ever wanted. No more night. No more darkness and the things that accompany the darkness, which would be no more sin. No more Sorrow and death and pain and tears and crying because these things come with sin. And so it's a really a, a tremendous statement God is making. And he's, he's talking of the gates of heaven. And you know, God has, um, throughout the history of this world, had much to do with opening and shutting the gates of heaven. And, and the opening of heaven's gates has, which God has done at various times, has identified with salvation. And the shutting of heaven's gates, which God has done at significant points in time, involves the means of judgment, of bringing his wrath upon sinners that are in the darkness. He has shut the gates of heaven, for instance, upon the churches and congregations at the end of the church age. He shut the gates of heaven upon the unsaved of the world on May 21, 2011. These are acts of wrath, of fury and judgment. And they're acts that are designed to punish the sinner. Because they love darkness, God developed a punishment that suited them, that that uh, sort of it fit their crime. They loved the darkness very well. You will have darkness. You're cast into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is the final judgment of God right now upon unsaved mankind that the door of heaven is shut. But once God completes the outpouring of his wrath. And once 
the prolonged day of judgment reaches that last day. And on that last day, God resurrects his people and and raptures the living and resurrects the dead elect to join him forever in the new heaven and new earth. Well, the the whole business of shutting the door of heaven is through. Never again, never again, God is letting it be known. Will there be a need? It'll never be necessary to shut the door or the gates of heaven. And that means that there will be no more sin. That means there there will be no rebellion. There There will be none of those that have become saved and glorified in their new resurrected bodies and souls that have entered into heaven that at some later point, at some distant point into eternity future, somehow mysteriously rebel and sin against God, bringing the terrible destruction that rebellion brings. No, God says, and and he knows because he has an eternal perspective. God, who is infinite in his being, he inhabits eternity, according to Isaiah 57, not only knows the end from the beginning of this world, but God, who knows all things from everlasting past, is able to look into everlasting future, way, way beyond the end of this world and the creation of the new heaven and new earth and and all the things we could never even uh, imagine that God is going to do into that eternal future. And God, in his um, eternal gaze, is able to see for as deep and as long and into the depths of that future that he's able to look, and, and that is without end, that his people will always be righteous. His elect people will always walk uprightly. They will always be uh, perfect and holy and just, and there'll be no error, no fault of any kind in thought, word, or deed against God Almighty. And therefore, there shall be no night there, and, and the gates will forever be open. Well, it goes on to say in verse 26 of Revelation chapter 21, And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. That is, the nations of them which are saved, which we spent some time talking about, they, they're entering in. They're coming into this kingdom of God that the Bible has told mankind about. That God wrote the Bible. He moved prophets of old to declare the things that he wanted said. And in this holy book, he has laid out these incredible truths concerning eternity future eternal life in uh, an eternal perfect habitation called a new heaven and new earth. And yet it's always been future. 
it's always been off into the distance. Of course, God's elect that have lived in the past and have lived their lives and died on certain occasions. Some did not die. They they were translated like Enoch or Elijah. But for the most part, overwhelmingly, they died and their souls went to be with the Lord in heaven. And so they know they're in heaven. They realize all the things God promised he will certainly bring to pass. But here we are on earth, and to us, we're just reading it in this holy book, this very special holy book. And, you know, we can know the child of God. We can know this book is exactly what it claims to be. It's exactly what it purports to be, if only based upon the tremendously angry response of men towards it. Why is it, of all the books in the world, and there are many religious writings, that it's this holy book, this holy Bible, that men sometimes, they they go crazy about. They spend their lives trying to disprove. They they try to uh, distort and and uh, just just show it it's not correct it's not true and they don't they don't bother to do that with fairy tales like so many uh commonly charge that the bible is full of and it and they don't bother to do that with actual lies uh, with um statements from other religions only this book because this book shines the light that no other book does, and it shows their sin. It points the finger at the heart of man, and deep down they know the Bible is God's word, and so they try to discredit it and and dismiss it, and they keep trying and keep trying. They've been trying throughout the whole history of the world, or ever since the Bible's been in existence. They have tried the very same tactics, and it never succeeds. God's word endureth forever. And and it is this word that tells us of this glorious eternal city that's just off on the horizon, that since judgment day is here, there's nothing else that has to be fulfilled. It's as near as it ever could possibly be. It, it's as close as anything, and there will come the actual time when it is fulfilled, when God fulfills his word and his promises, and he brings his people who have trusted, who have, by the faith he has given them, looked forward with expectation to these things, God will bring it to pass, and 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 then there will be that that glorious moment. Except we can't say moment because there'll be time no more when there the children of God will be. They will be equipped with new resurrected bodies, together with their souls, in the presence of God in a new creation and. Glory be 
It will have come to pass exactly as God said, and uh, and and so we're right on the edge of this coming to pass and of God fulfilling all things. And at that point, the glory and honor of the nations enter in. Well, what's that referring to? Well, God identifies the saving of the elect as gold, silver, precious stones. And and when he brings, uh, or when David made preparation for Solomon's temple, he put aside gold, silver, and and uh, rare stones. And, and that was a picture of God bringing his elect into the temple. It says in Haggai, concerning not Solomon's temple, but the second temple, Zerubbabel's temple, that uh, was not considered to be as beautiful as Solomon's temple or as, as great. In Haggai chapter 2, it says in verse 6, For thus saith Jehovah of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith Jehovah of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith Jehovah of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith Jehovah of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith Jehovah of hosts. So there God speaks of uh, gold and silver in connection with filling the house with glory, and the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. Now that doesn't really make sense historically, because Solomon's temple was tremendous. Uh, David had made preparation for quite some time, and, and the kingdom of Israel was very wealthy. And then Solomon was a great man of wealth, and he spared no expense in building that temple. Then later, after the Babylonians came and destroyed Solomon's temple and carried the Jews captive into Babylon, they came out, and the captives returning to Jerusalem were given permission to build, and they were given certain supplies. But... Uh, but definitely, there was no comparison. The kings, the generous kings of the Medes and Persians that gave them certain supplies to build did not give them anywhere near the riches that Solomon had at his disposal when he built the temple the first time. And so they built it. And we read in the book of Ezra, that when they were building the temple, there was weeping due to the uh, lack of glory of this second temple. It says in Ezra chapter 3, in um, verse 11, And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto Jehovah, because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised Jehovah because the foundation 
of the house of Jehovah was laid, but many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers, who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. They had seen Solomon's house, and already with with just the laying of the foundation, they could compare and say, well, this house will be nothing like that. And yet there was joy, because at least they would have a house. But Haggai is saying something then that doesn't make sense. Uh, Historically, as he says uh, in verse 7, I will fill this house with glory, saith Jehovah of hosts. And then verse 9, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith Jehovah of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith Jehovah of hosts. And it's not until we understand the spiritual house of God is in view, as we read in Hebrews 3, that the Lord Jesus built a house, and then it says, whose house are we? And it is that construction of all those that God has saved that is the more glorious house than the earthly type or figure. And and that is what God is saying that he will bring glory into and it will be greater than the former. And 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 so it is a very God glorifying thing that he has finished his house, that he himself has entered in and to be the glory of Jehovah in the midst of it, and that the glory and honor of the nations has been brought in, the gold, the silver, the valuables, uh, out of the world. Because ultimately, since God is going to destroy everything in this world, everything, he's going to destroy the land, the mountains, the seas, the trees, the houses, the boats, the cars, the electronics, He's going to destroy the people, the unsaved people of the earth. But what is the one thing God is not going to destroy? Those that he saved. And that's what gold and silver points to. That which is precious, enduring, and valuable. And God's people go through the fire. They're the third part that God refers to in Zechariah 13 that he brings through the fire that comes out of the world. The only thing that comes out of the world, as it says in uh, 1 Timothy in chapter 6, in verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world and is certain we can carry nothing out. Not one thing, and and that was one reason why God commanded when uh, uh, Jericho was destroyed, touch nothing, take nothing from that place, 
because it was a picture of the world. And Achan, sadly, did not hearken to God and, and he hid a goodly Babylonian garment and a wedge of gold. And it's, it's a foolish thing to think that anyone can take anything out of this world. The things of this world are going to perish. And this is why God says, for our own benefit, for our own welfare, for our own good. He says in 1 John 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. There's God's elect. There God is making that contrast. That out of this whole world, and you can put in the category, no matter what it is ultimately, of lust of either flesh or eyes or pride of life. It's all of the world and the things of the world pass away. The only thing eternal that was a part of this world are those that do the will of God. They will abide forever because God has saved them. And he brings the valuables. He he brings the treasure that he has found and, and that he has purchased for himself. And they will enter into the new heaven and new earth and everything else is gone. The world will be annihilated and uh, the unsaved people will die in like manner, we read in Isaiah. They also will be annihilated. But God's elect bring the glory and honor of the nations into this holy city. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.